Good morning, everyone. Thanks for that, Esther. No pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just such a privilege to be speaking to you again this morning. Um, as Esther said, my name is Wes. I'm so excited to share what God has put on my heart this morning. And yeah, the yeah, the musicians did such a great job this morning. Really enjoyed worship. Where's Micah? That guy. He just kills it every time, playing bass and singing it. Like that's so difficult to do. <laughs> yeah, but all the all the musos, they did, just did so well. So thanks, guys. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, so we are carrying on with the book of Philippians, and uh, I've so enjoyed this series as we've um, journeyed through, you know, piecing together all the different parts of Philippians and really digging into it and learning learning more and more. And um, as always, I just like to give us a quick recap. So, um, just thinking back to the very first one when, when Craig, that Craig took, oh, there's Micah, hey, there. well done, man. <laughs> um, yeah, just thinking back to the very first one that Craig, uh, Craig took us through, and you were saying that the, the book of Philippians is about the cost of following Jesus. And, you know, as, as we've traveled through the book of Philippians, that has become more and more clear to me about how our lives are completely should be completely laid down for him and we see the examples that that um, Paul gave throughout the book um, where exactly that has just happened some also say that it's the book of joy um, and I think this is because Paul mentions joy a lot in it but I wouldn't specifically say that it's about joy but most of the time when Paul's talking about joy he's expressing his joy for the church in Philippi and how much they've They've grown over the 11 years since he's planted it. And every time he's like, you know, my heart is full of joy when, when I see you and, you know, I see how you've grown, etc., etc. And, um, yeah, so we've looked at uh, all the different parts and, you know, Paul's in prison while he's writing this and he's, he's using his own life as an example saying, you know, I, I, I'm suffering greatly, but it's okay because the gospel is spreading because of my suffering. And he uses himself as, as an example. And he has a few other people. He mentions Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he says, you know, these guys, they are, they are from you. And look at what they're doing. You know, follow them as examples. And then the key, the arrow point of the whole book is the, in chapter 2, the poem about Jesus. And he's the key example that our lives should follow. And uh, I so enjoyed Richard's preach um, last week when he spoke about how God meets us where we're at. It doesn't matter about our past, he'll still do a great work in us. So that brings us to this section, which is section number, I'm not sure, six. <laughs> I haven't really been counting. But in this section, it's kind of like, I just want to take a supporter. I always find it so awkward if a preacher takes a sip of water and the mic is close to his throat. And you hear the water going down. It's like, I hope I didn't put you guys through that. So that brings us to this uh, portion of Philippians. For, for, for um, from verse 2, I'm, well, I'm going to go from verse 1 to 9. And the idea that I get from this section of Philippians, it's like Paul is now expressed everything that's on his heart for the Philippian church and he's taken a step back and he's looking at the church and he's addressing any other issues that might 
um, might be happening in the church. And I get the idea that maybe from Epaphroditus, when he delivered the gift to Paul, he might have given a report of the church and told, told Paul, there's a few things happening, you know, give, just given him an update, and now Paul's addressing these things. It was like yesterday, <coughs> excuse me, yesterday I was taking a walk, and just down the road from us, there's this building that they're busy renovating. It used to be like an office block. It's this huge building, um, but they're turning it into apartments. And there was this guy right at the top, hanging off the scaffolding, but literally hanging, you know, with his feet on in one hand. He had a safety harness on, but he had like a scraper with some polyfiller, and he was just like filling the little gaps, and he was just looking. And I get the idea that Paul is doing that with this church. He's just making sure that they are watertight and solid church and that there's no fault in them. So he addresses a few different things. And if my preach sounds a little bit incoherent this morning, just forgive me. It's just the nature of this section of scripture. He's addressing a lot of different things. So we're going to talk about a lot of different random things. But I can promise you that they are very coherent when you look at the whole book of, of Philippians. So this section is called Final Encouragements. Well, that's the name that I'm giving to it. But in the NIV, they say uh, Final Exhortations. Kind of the same thing, I guess. So let's look at the first portion of the scripture. If I can just turn the page, yeah? So he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, my dear friends. So, what I love about this scripture is the language that Paul uses. So that word crown that he uses is the Greek, if you've translated from the Greek, it's the word that they would use for the type of crown that they would win if they, if they won a race or some sort of, uh, you know, sporting event. So this ties in with uh, Philippians 3 verse 14, where it says, where Paul says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And it's so amazing, because what he's saying actually is that the victory of the Philippian church is actually his crown. You know, and so often we can be like, you know, our victory is, cool, I'm going to be like super successful at work, or, you know, I'm going to have a nice car, or whatever. Or, you know, we, we tend to like attach these, these um, superficial things to, to victory. But what's amazing about Paul is his victory is actually um, the success of others. And having said all this, he's saying to them, stand firm. Because although your life may be taking strain, although your life might be under pressure from what you're doing for Jesus, look to the victory or the success of others, and then you know that you have done well. You know? And it's so easy for us just to look at our, our circumstances and go, wow, I'm not doing well, I'm failing. But what Paul is saying, we should be focusing on others. Difficult thing to do, it's extremely challenging. But it's one of those things where only Jesus can help us do that. So, so yeah, stand firm. Our victory is the success of others. And, you know, I was just thinking, again, just looking at the, the worldly def definition of success, you know, anyone who you see, if you Google someone, successful people, you'll get all these people that have got a lot of money and, you know, they're running companies, people that are way at the top of the food chain, so to speak. And those people are exalted as people who are successful, you know. 
But in the kingdom, it's the flip side. The people who are successful are those who are the last. Jesus said, those who are first will be last. And, um, you know, one day when we get to heaven, the point is we're going to be facing Jesus. And, you know, we'll say, Lord, I drove a Mercedes-Benz. No offense, no offense Richard. <laughs> no, and there's, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. But if your sole intention is just to gather things and boast or, or boost your own personal success, I feel like we've missed it a little bit, you know. We should be focusing on others and building others up, you know, firstly, and then ourselves should come second. So then he carries on, and in verse 2 he says, I plead with Judea, and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So he then addresses these two women. So clearly he, he, again, has probably got a report from Epaphroditus saying, these two women, they've served at his side for many years. They're probably quite prominent in the church, instrumental in the church. They're having this dispute. And what I love is he doesn't, like, pick sides. He doesn't say, well, you know, Syntyche, Judea is right. You need to, like, you know, or what, whichever way. He says, um, be of the same mind in the Lord. And that's such a thing that we can learn from what Paul is saying here in our own lives. When we are in the same mind of the Lord, or when, we, when our common interest is Jesus, our differences should matter less. You know, and in our church, we've got such a multicultural church, so many different people, it's easy to, to you know, miss each other, and it's easy, easy to misunderstand each other. And so it's all the more important and I loved the heart this morning and the sentiment, you know, of being plugged in and rooted in. And that, that thing, that, that foundation we should be rooted in is, is Jesus, you know. And when we do that, our differences will become less and less uh, significant. They will still be there, but that won't be the focus. The focus will be serving Jesus. And what he then does is he also surrounds these people or these women with some trustworthy people. Um, and it's quite bold what he does, because this letter would have been read out in front of the church. And, you, you know, imagine if I stood up here and I preached, and I was like, you know, Andrew and Gerda, you guys are going to stop fighting. You know? <laughs> they're not fighting. They, they, they're perfectly good. But just can you imagine if I, if, I, if I were to do that, or if someone was to do that. But Paul does this, and he does it in such a loving way. I love the way he does it. But he does it to, to shed light on the, on the circumstance and, and bring it to the surface so that it can be resolved. And I also believe he does that so that other people can learn what to do when they are in the same situation um, from these two, these two prominent women. And then he gathers around people, uh, trustworthy people around them to, to help. And again, when, when we are faced with troubles like this, indifferences and whatever troubles, we shouldn't back away and isolate ourselves you know we should try we should find trustworthy people that we can rely on so that they can help us through and, and give us uh, guidance and clarity so christ is our common interest he then carries on and he says rejoice in the lord always i'll say it again rejoice 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And rejoice in the Lord always. A difficult and challenging statement. If I look at my own life, I think, you know, if I can draw a percentage between the amount of time that I'm rejoicing and the time that I'm not, <laughs> probably, you know, the rejoicing percentage is a lot less. But he says, rejoice in the Lord always. So that's, that is hard. That's difficult, you know, but it's a challenge for us. And, you know, one thing that, that jumps to mind is my wife and I are very good at picking up when our family is in a place where we are feeling very low and our, and our heads are hung low. We can, we, we've become quite good at, at picking that up. And one of the things that we do, one of the weapons that we have to, to defeat that is we, we do five grateful things. So I'll say, okay, we need to do five grateful things now. Things are going rough. And the, the, what we do is I'll share five things that I'm grateful for, and then she'll share five things that she's grateful for. And sometimes it's super easy. You can just shoot off five things quick. And sometimes you're like, uh, um, you know, I'm grateful that I have a bed. And, you know, sometimes it's like, really, and that's okay. We have seasons where we feel that way. But the purpose of, is, of it is that it aligns us to God's goodness, you know. And it gives us direction because it, focus, it, it shifts our focus from the difficulties of life to the blessings of God. And it, it's only from that place where our minds become free that we can then focus on Him. And I want to say that sometimes the things that we can be grateful for, for are actually the difficult things in life. Those very things that you're struggling with, sometimes that specific thing is actually the thing you need to be grateful for. Because it says here in James, I think it's chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And if again I can use my, my, our own life, my own life as an example. Some years back, my wife and I, we went through a stage where we were experiencing some financial difficulties. We were finding that we weren't having enough money to, to get us through to the end of the month. And you know, it, was, it was a difficult time because it feels like your whole world is sort of shaking and you, know, you, you struggle to to have faith and you struggle to, to focus on God because the, you know there's this, this pressure the whole time. And man, I'm so grateful that I went through that because we gained so much wisdom through going through that difficulty. And the Lord just, it, it, he like pulled the wool over our eyes about, about finances. And um, you know, sometimes the difficult things that we go through, we need to go through them because the, the Lord reveals stuff to us through that. And, you know, it's easy to read, read, read scriptures like, you know, rejoice always. And it's easy to have a head knowledge of it and being like, yeah, I know I need to do that. But to actually do it is a different thing. It's a, it's a lesson that we need to learn. And when, when that happens, it becomes a part of us. And once, once that happens, I feel like that's the only time you'll really be able to fully understand and actually live out scriptures and, and, and verses like that. So, gratitude is our entry point into rejoicing.
Now the next point is where I know that God has a sense of humor and his tool of humor is irony. Because some months back, like way before, well, like before we started the Philippians series, I was having this conversation in my head. And I was like, oh, Lord, you know, the, the one scripture that I struggle with the most out of anything is do not be anxious about anything. And then Lily was like, hey, do you want to preach? And I was like, cool, I'm keen. And I counted the, you know, the weeks and I'm like, cool. And I thought that I was preaching on what Richard preached last week. And I'm like, yes, I know I could do that. <laughs> And then, I, and then I realized James and Annette, they did like two of the sections in one. I was like, oh, okay, flip. Now my counting's out. So then I counted again, and then I'm, okay, I'm doing this section. And then I read it, and then I get to verse 6, and it's like, do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So, but I was so happy as well, because I, was, I knew then Lord, the Lord was going to teach me something about this verse. So... Yeah, do not be anxious about anything. So if you know anything of, or if you've read anything about mindfulness, it's quite a sort of a trend that's happening nowadays, mindfulness. Mindfulness is the practice of basically sitting down, being in the moment, and clearing your head of all the thoughts that, that churn. And one of the things they say is that you've you got to sit, be aware of where you are, and you've got to let your, your thoughts flow. And if you have an anxious thought or a thought that you don't want to have, you take it, you accept it, and then you let it go. One of the things that it doesn't say is that you can't force yourself not to think about something. You know, that's impossible. And, you know, it's the same with anxiety. If you're having anxious thoughts, if you sit there and you're like, I'm not going to think about this, and you, and you try with all your heart to not think about it, you will just be more and more and more anxious. And that's what I struggle about with this verse. Because time and time again, I've heard people and preachers say, do not be anxious is a command. If you are anxious, you've sinned. It's like you're not trusting God enough. Therefore, if you're anxious, you, you, you're in the wrong. And in fact, the commentary that I read, it said, do not be anxious. It said, this is a command, not an option. And I thought, wow, that's not true. Imagine if my wife was anxious and I was like, don't be anxious. I'm a good husband. How dare you? How dare you be anxious? She's going to be more anxious, right? And um, it's exactly true. And it's the same with God. You know, God doesn't sit there and like judge us if we're anxious. But rather, this is actually um, God offering an exchange for us. Because it carries on and it says, By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. So God is not saying just, just don't do it. He's saying, when you are anxious, come to me, bring that anxious thing before me, and I will replace it. So then when I realized this, I did that. Um, I was feeling anxious about things. Just like Esther said, you know, price of petrol is going up, you know, and I sometimes think, you know, if Jesus ever had to come back and visit, I'll be like, Lord, take this water and just turn it into petrol, please. <laughs> because it's, it's ridiculously expensive. So, and everything is just the, 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 you know, price of everything is going up. You know, it's, it's dark most of the time because there's load shedding. And 
it 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 wears us down. It really, really does wear us down. Um, so I sat down the one morning and I was having my quiet time and I was like, I'm going to test the Lord on this. And I and I took a piece of paper and I wrote down each and everything that I was anxious about. And it was like as soon as I wrote that, even when I started writing down that thing, God was like, boom, I'm this. Boom, you don't need to worry about that because I'm this. And I was like, Lord, just let me finish writing it down at least. And it's amazing that God, if you're willing to go with to Him with your the things that are making you anxious and the things that are, are weighing you down, He does that exchange for us. And sometimes the stuff builds up and it builds up and it, and, and it just becomes like this ball of anxiety and we just like walk around carrying this ball. And God doesn't want that for us. He wants, he wants us to give that over to Him and then He exchanges it with His peace. So, don't be anxious. Command or optional? Well, I'll, I'll say that we don't need to be anxious, but it's definitely not a command. If you are anxious, don't feel anxious about your anxiousness. <laughs> you know, go to God and, and let, him, let Him relieve or relieve the burden of His anxiety. Just want to find my place here, quick. And then, just to sort of back that up, I want to, I want to just share um, something from the Bible that I, I you know, saw a few weeks back, and I just thought it's a, it's a good example of someone. And I just love the Bible so much because it's just full of real people with real struggles, and it's so applicable, you know. It's not, you know, all these perfect holy people. It's these people that, are, that are, sometimes have the same struggles as us. And this guy, his name's Asaph, and he's a Levite, and it's from Psalm 73. And he, he does, he, he goes to God, and he, he's, anxiety, he's anxious, because of this, this issue that, he's, that he has. So let's, let's see. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. He said, I nearly lost my foothold. And the reason why is because he says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So this guy, he's a Levite. And if you remember about the Levites is that they had no inheritance of their own. God was their inheritance. So they were called to serve in the temple and, you know, anything left over from the, or they, they got the first choice of, of, from the sacrifices, that's what they would eat from. They never had land of their own. So this guy was in that situation. And now as he's serving the Lord, he realizes that there are other people, maybe other fellow Israelites, maybe other people from other countries that are just, incredibly prosperous and they they're super wealthy they don't really care anything about god and he carries on he says that these people they have no struggles their bodies are healthy and strong they are free from common human burdens they are not plagued by human ills therefore pride is their necklace they clothe themselves with violence from their callous hearts comes iniquity their evil imaginations have no limits they scoff and speak with malice with arrogance they threaten um, oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues um, take possession of earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? So I, I, I can say from my own um, experience, and maybe you feel the same, sometimes you see people that are, they, don't, they couldn't care less about God, but yet 
you know, their lives just seem to be so easy. You know, they, they seem to be carefree. I, I can think of a few people in my life or a few situations in my life where that's happened. And I thought, Lord, like, you know, I serve you, but yet, you know, there's this, you know, and other people, they, they seem more blessed. Like, what's going on here? So this is, this, this is what's exactly what's happening to this guy. And, and he says, this is what the wicked are. They're always carefree. They go on amassing wealth. That's verse 12. And then he says, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure, and I've washed my hands in, the innocence, in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. And he's, he's having a, a doubt moment. He's like saying, Lord, but are you good? You know, um, Surely I've, all this that I've been doing for you is, is, was just a waste, surely. And... Um, you can imagine the anxiety that he was feeling was because now he's in this place where he's not sure and he's doubting, he's doubting God. And he says, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. If he, had, he was on the point of turning his back on God, and if he had done that, generations before him would have been ruined. And if you read the book, or if you read you know, a lot in the Old Testament, other Levites, that exact thing happened. They turned their backs on God, and generations just became um, wicked. So he said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And then he says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destination. So he, 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 he then takes this thing and he goes to God and he's, and he's like, Lord. And he, when he's with the people of God and when he's in the sanctuary of God, his focus shifts and he realizes his final destination in comparison to their final destination. And yeah, they have it good now. But he realizes, I'm going to have it good, or I'm going to have it a lot better um, in years to come. You know? And he said, then, he said, then he, his, his thing changed. He says, surely you place them on slippery ground, and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when one awakes. Uh, when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. And... This is, it's so amazing because the thing that this guy was actually struggling with was jealousy, which is a sin. But yet he still goes to God and he takes it to God. And um, if you carry on reading, you know, you realize that, that God cured his heart of that, that thing that, you know, and he, and he carries on, he carries on serving, serving Jesus. So even when it's stuff that we feel like we've done wrong, we can still go to God for, with it and, and he takes that burden from us. Another example is uh, also from the Psalms. It's Psalm 3. And it's a, a psalm that David wrote when he's fleeing from his son Absalom. So what happens was that his, his son um, revolts, his own son revolts against him. And his son you know, causes some insurrection and, and he raises up this army. And they're all you know, after, after David. So David flees. And there's like, it says here, even in the psalm, it says um, tens of thousands of soldiers are pursuing him. And, and, and again, so David is struggling with fear. You know, he's, he's, he's scared of, can you imagine 12,000 soldiers, you know, pursuing you? Um, and he says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And even the people around him are saying, He's done. Not even God is going to save him. 
can you imagine the weight of that on your on your mind you know when everyone around you is saying god is done with you and he says but you lord are a shield all around me my glory the one who lifts my head i call out to the lord and he answers me from his holy mountain i lie down and sleep i wake again because the lord sustains me i will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side arise lord deliver me my god Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the, te- break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your, all your people. So again, just another example of, of, of how we can or how we should go to God with our, our, our struggles and the things that are, are weighing us down and making us anxious. And yeah, I don't want to, you know, sometimes you get those, it's like those prayer references. Like if you are struggling with this, then you go to this prayer. And all right, that, that's, that's a good starting point, but I feel like what we should be doing is sitting down with God and letting Him show us specifically what He wants us to see in His Word. And sometimes it doesn't happen straight away, like me with the, with the do not be anxious. You know, I sat with that thing for a long time, and I was like, do not be anxious, how do I do this? And then God broke through, you know, and sometimes we just need to be patient, and we just need to sit on a word or a scripture that we don't understand, and then at the right time, God will reveal it to us and, and unlock that thing. And so I want to just sort of finish off with this. Um, And I love that Richard shared the first part of this um, scripture last week because I had the second half of it on my heart. And it's from uh, 2 Timothy verse 2. And he says, Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. So the one thing that, that, that jumps out is the part where it says, um, if we disown him, he'll disown us. And that's quite, uh, it, it, it's quite scary. But what it's saying is that you know, we have a choice. We can either choose him or we can choose to completely deny him. And he says, if you completely deny him, and you choose not to be, uh, you know, acknowledge his, his, his existence, then he will disown you. But if you, are, if you, if you choose him, and um, it's, it's the, the, the scripture that jumps to mind, it says, I, from John 15 verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we give our lives to Jesus, it's like we graft it into him. And we become a part of him. It's like we are him in a sense. Because then he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. We become so much a part of him, it's like we are, are his so much that he can't disown us because he owns us. And that's even true in the case of where our faith drops down to the point where we almost have no faith at all. And I don't know about you, but I've been in that situation where you know things are tough and you're like, Lord, I just don't know how I can, um, I, I might, you know, I, I'm weak. My, my faith is gone. My faith is shaken. And he's saying even in that time where you would think that God would, you know, be done with you, he says, even in that time, I'm still faithful to you. So that brings us to the end of this little portion of Scripture. And what, um, what Paul finishes with, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the, and the God of peace will be with you. And you know, there's many things that we can think of that, that cover all of those um, uh, all of those descriptions, but the number one thing is obviously Jesus. So Jesus um, covers all of those things completely. So he is true. So it says he's the true vine. He's, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's noble. He's right. He is our righteousness. He's so right that he's right for us even when we are wrong. And he's pure. You know, when you stood before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate could not find any fault in him. He said, I don't, I don't find any fault in this guy. He's pure. He's, he's, he's done nothing wrong. He's lovely. For he, he loved us even when we were sinners. And he's admirable, admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. And yeah, I just want to, I want to just close by maybe praying with us or just, you know, encouraging us and saying, if you've, you know, I love the heart of this morning. You know, if you feel like you're in that place where you're just, you're just low and, and the world is on your shoulders, don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't hold back. You know, don't, don't feel like you can't go to him. Go to him. Just lay down the things that you're struggling with in front of him and he'll teach you. He'll teach you. He's the best teacher out of any. He'll teach you why, why you're going through this and what you need, what you need to know and what, what you need to read. Can I just pray for us? Thank you, Lord, this, for this morning. And yeah, I just thank you for your words and just so enjoy digging into your scriptures and, and learning more about you. And, and thank you for the freedom that you bring us, Lord. Thank you that you are so much bigger than us and thank you for your righteousness that, that you make us right and that you make us pure even though we fail sometimes, Lord Jesus. And you know, for everyone here this morning, I just pray that. I pray that you lift us up, lift our heads and pray that we just carry on in strength towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.